This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. We all want our children to grow up and be good human beings. Our job as parents is to mold them, to guide them in the direction that we see is in their best interests, making sure that they have all the opportunities that we had and had not. It's hard to sit on the sidelines and watch your children fall, fail, or lose. We must stand by and make sure they know how to pick themselves up, realizing that those things are part of everyday life. Our kids grow up so fast. Through instruction, we help them meet their goals and not our own. Sticking to the mantra that a coachable kid becomes an employable adult. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace. And on this episode of the Suffering Podcast, we welcome back our very good friend. That's Bobby Crudell. (laughs) (laughs) We need a little extra time on this one. But we brought Bobby in because Bobby is so involved in his kids we thought it would be nice to talk about the suffering of coaching your kids you know you know i gotta gotta tell you bobby is one of my best friends from childhood i won't hold it against him but he's one of the best fathers i know he's a great coach and i think this is a good great he's involved in he's involved in everything his kids do bob thanks so much man hey thanks for having me on you canceled out about 50 times on us Uh, he's like that very busy (laughs) very very busy guy very very busy guy guy. before we get into any of this madness here uh let's throw a big shout out to our marquee sponsor that's toyota of hackensack we don't trust anybody but we do trust toyota of hackensack so if you're looking for a car go to toyotahackensack.com let them help you out so bob (laughs) where do you even start so i want to i do want to throw a big shout out to to bobby so for the longest time bobby you're two episodes and i think it was like 65 and 66 that you did while while we were on audio were the top they were the top people love you i was here no (laughs) this was was back in the old days that was back in the day in your basement (laughs) in my basement i remember other things in the basement i don't remember actually talking to you guys here we go here we go ding 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 okay let's just just, yeah let's let's get serious for a minute You were trying to have a professional podcast now, would you? Oh, I got. I can give you guys one of my things. I should have yeah. brought it up. I know. Yeah, Why you should. Tell me that. You're like a yeah. fucking squirrel. I know. Or just you know. Those are ass get, plugs, right? <laughs> you just, oh, oh dear lord! No, listen, Kev. He, he was going to give us one. He's going to wind up stealing one before we leave. From Hudson County. To pay for it at fucking here. As you go, what is that? Just take it. So, although we're in a different place. The show pretty much remains the same. Each week, we take a question from our audience. This week's question comes from Zephyr, and it says, "One, what is one lesson you've learned from your past transgressions that you feel your kids should know? Bob, you're our guest. Why don't you lead this one off? I'm going to say, which I have instilled, especially in my big guy. I got a 14, 15, and 17-year-old. Uh, you get to the point where you, you make mistakes. You know, everything's about decisions. Right. You growing up, you make decisions, transgressions, you know, whatever. I drank too much. I did this. I did that. I wasn't a good person at times. But the one thing I always did, I owned it. I absolutely was accountable my whole life for everything I ever did. I never made excuses. And that's one of the things that I try to tell my kids all the time. You're going to fuck up. You're going to make mistakes. People are going to look at you like you're the jerk off. Own it. And it goes away a lot faster than when you say it was, it was Mikey. He fucking was, I don't know why his pants are down, you know, shit like that. It's like, Hey, listen, it's, it's own that shit. I did it the whole time. My police career, if I fucked up, I mean, I've been in IA and I've been like, Oh, did you do it? I saw one time. It was me. I saw one time where that backfired. So in the town that I work in now, 
um, one of the guys, he, he put down the wrong, it was part of Verizon's scam. You know, they said put in for eight hours. He put in for eight hours and worked like three. Where there was so that's what he did. Uh, but never I, did that. But no, I, yeah, yeah, we've all did Jersey City. We, we've all done that. We've all done all the retired. All, all the retired guys at least have done that. So he went in, and this guy had never. He doesn't have one thing on his jacket. Went in and told the chief the truth. And guess what? They fired him. Like I never got in trouble. Like that was like any thing earth shattering. You know, I mean, I. I was in there for like stupid shit. You know how it is. You, we're, we're all cops. They sometimes you're like, what the fuck? You're actually having an IA against me for this. And I would just come in and be like, yeah, I did it. I fucking, I did it. I threw the bicycle and the fucking thing was supposed to go in evidence. It wasn't even a bike. Fuck the bike. I threw it in a thing. Give me my three days. Can I go now? You know, like it's just, but I, the message was and to my kids is you have to be accountable. You have to own your mistakes because if you don't, it gets easier and easier to keep blaming somebody else. And well, then you it know. makes perfect sense is if you have a credit card bill and you don't pay it, is it going away? No, it's no, going it's... on your credit report. And then when you try to refile your house, they go, what the fuck is this? Oh, yeah. Right. So shit. I, I'm a firm believer in owning it. Mike, what do you think? You know what I mean? Listen, Bobby knew me growing up. I was, I was kind of like a little bit of a rebel, you know, I never, and, 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 and this is going to with your cutoff jean jacket. But yeah, you know, with the the band with the painted on the bow, yeah, yeah. yeah, had a bunch of them. I know, <laughs> I know. I just look at them and I know. No, you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> but I mean, this is going to go to what what the um, the subject of the show is tonight. Uh, like playing baseball. Do you remember Ray Farley? Yeah. <laughs> Ray Farley was our he was my CYO baseball coach. He was my American Legion baseball Forest coach. area. I played. He was my coach. <laughs> he had more confidence in me than I had in myself. And I did nothing but fight back. I think at, at now looking back on it all these years later, I think he saw that I had leadership ability, you know, in CYO baseball in eighth grade, he came up to me and said, Mike, I want you to be the captain of the baseball team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you 14 years old? Doesn't mean anything to me. You know? mm. <laughs> American Legion. He came up and said, I want you to be the captain of the baseball team. It took me years because I fought him every day. I fought back every day. And I just, it took me till I got a lot older to realize that he was trying to bring out the best of me. So my, my, I always told my kids, whether you like your coach or not, respect your coach. You're going to go through life and get jobs. You're not going to like your boss, but you got to respect your boss. One of the things I say in the beginning is a coachable kid becomes an employable adult. And I, I've heard that before. I didn't make that up. I wish I did, but I'm, I'm a, I made it up. firm believe I'm a <laughs> firm, firm believer. Um, unfortunately, my kids have witnessed a lot of my bad behavior. You know, they, they, they were coming of age as I was just spiraling out of control mentally. And it wasn't until recently that I started to revisit those places of pain with my kids, mental pain with my kids, because the way I saw, and I was coached through this is if you visit those places of pain and confront your past, you can actually show your kids what a true miracle is. And a true miracle is a changed life. And I think we've all in this room, we've had that ability to show our children that miracle. And so my mental pain that I went through and my mental problems that I went through, 
those are the things I talk about with them because there's going to be hurdles in their life. There's going to be times when they're up and they're down and you know, the sun rises tomorrow and things like that. They're going to make mistakes and they're going to believe, you know, they're not going to believe in themselves. But if you go back to that place, that's really uncomfortable and it just, and you're a changed person, you can show some people some really great things. But see, I mean like both of your kids are at the molding age now too. So you got to show them yeah. your, your transgressions, it can be don't, a positive influence. Yeah, it can yeah, yeah, you can absolutely. turn a negative into a positive. It's just you know. They also know Daddy is fallible. Oh yeah. So Daddy, Daddy makes mistakes. He is not the end all be all. I'm a human being just like you are. You're going to make those same mistakes as well. L- let me teach you the mistakes that I made in hopes that you don't make the same ones. I already made them. My youngest yeah. son Shane says this year eighth grade is last year in youth football my wife was talking to him and I was just, I was doing something. She says, what do you think of daddy as a coach? She said, he says, he's the best coach. He goes in the entire league. He's the best defensive coach. He knows offense better than the rest of the coaches. He's that good. She goes, and I can't, I wish he could coach me the rest of my career. He goes, and so does Ian. Ian feels the same way, but Ian won't tell him because he's just, my other son's quiet. You know, he doesn't say as much, but he goes, Half of the high school team wants him to come up and coach, but you know, I can't, you know what I mean? But I, I'm just saying it's, it, that was the biggest compliment. And I started thinking to myself, at least I did something for all those years, which was positive because I wasn't the best father, you know, I was kind of absent. I was out there doing the job, you know, but then the job was like, Oh, extracurricular this and that. <laughs> and you know, and, and I wasn't there well, we when I should have been, you know, I mean, like, I'm just saying I, I would come in four o'clock in the morning, you know, that how it is. And I wasn't that great. Of a, of a dad, like I could have been much better, but I definitely made up for it in the last three years. So, you know, but, that was, but Bob, point. you know, I mean, my father was our coach when we were playing little oh, kids football, <laughs> was playing little kids football. My father taught all of us so many life lessons just from being on the football field and in practice and everything else. Every time my father comes back to Lynnhurst, North Arlington area, when people that we grew up with see him, I mean, it, they have nothing but the utmost respect for him because he taught us stuff when we were kids. Not only that, he, he, your dad's different animal. He's the guy that you really, uh, he commands respect. You know, he walks in a room. It's like, oh, Mr. Fallace is here. It's not like, hey, Frank. Yeah. It's, well, when it's we like, started, that's what I say to the son. That's hey, what Frank. That's what he tells me all the time. He goes, no, I'm Frank. And I said, no, he says to me all the time. You're too. Seen, I'm like, you're no, you're, no, you're Mr. Mr. Fallace. Fallace. And you made me run <laughs> gassers for. <laughs> you, you remember that? Like, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to argue with the guy because I still think at 80 something years old, he punched me right in the jaw. Yeah, it's a tough guy. So, but anyway, Zephyr, thank you so much for sending that one and keep sending in your questions. We will try to get them on the air, but it is a nice segue into what I want to talk about tonight because we all have coached our kids and there's a lot of pain and suffering that goes into coaching your I kids. Thought, I thought this was, you said anal. <laughs> that's what you told me coming up the steps. Oh, no. He, afterwards. That, that's, the, that's the way he and, lured you in. He said transanal. Andrew, um, yeah, we're, we're going to need the, the button yeah. just to beep out some stuff. Do you actually do that? I listen to your show all the time. I don't hear any beeping out. Because most people behave themselves. <laughs> This is just a little humor. People like that, you know? I mean, they got to explore yourselves, people. Explore. No, but I know how involved you are with your children and the coaching of your children. And everybody thinks it's all it's all good, but the, you, you sacrifice a lot of your other life for coaching your kids. But before we get into that, you said you, your one kid just, it's his last year of junior league football. You, he's done. 
you're done coaching him. Mm -hmm. What did it feel like walking off the field with him for the last time? I was emotional. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the bad part was is that we he got, were, he got hurt. I did that last he got year. hurt in the last game. We were he? in a championship yeah. game and, and he got we hurt. were driving and they could have no answer for him. He's our quarterback and you know, I'll never apologize because my kids are good athletes. You know, that's the one thing I'll never do. I, I'm not going to, I'm not the guy that's like, oh, they're the greatest thing in the world. But and Kev, his, his wife was a very good athlete. She was awesome, not, actually. Yeah. That's where they got their athleticism from. <laughs> I'm a much better football coach. But I, I, had a, <laughs> I had a similar experience this year because the eighth grade coaches are all set. And so I coached my seventh grader for the last time. And I, there's a picture of him and I on the field for the last time together. And I remember turning to him going, pal, this is the last time I'm going to coach you. And I remember getting that same, like, I'm, I'm starting to get choked up about it. I, I don't, like, it turns yeah. out I may actually coach him in eighth grade this year, but I... I so you're a liar. But no, I'm not. No, <laughs> no, actually no not. You, listen, I, it ruined it for me. It, it actually ruined it because we had a really good shot at winning that game. And we were driving and we were only down, we were down one point at that sure, point. your kid's hurt. You're and worried he, about winning the game. He's running out of bounds and he gets tackled from behind and it tore like a a really bad tendon in his foot. Didn't tear it, but it, it was almost torn. So bad that he couldn't. Uh, I mean, like screaming on the field, I can't go out like this. I got to stay in. I got to stay in everything. So there was no like talk between me and him at that point. I just went over to him and I said, listen, you're done. Just sit back. And, you know, it's going to unfold bad, badly now. And he was at the game. You could, you, you know, we then the wheels came off because he's gone and we don't have our offense can't run without him. Listen, but, the, the other team knew that his son was was the stud and they had to stop him. If you remember at the end of the game, the whole team, the other team came, came across the field as he was sitting on the bench. And they all like patted him on the back. That's, that that's was a class, that was a class move. That's a I got the coaches call me the uh, you know some guys we played with them we grew up with yep. a lot of these guys and uh, they they were all like he's a baller you know he's going to get done he's going to high school now it'll be fine you know you know what the great thing is is kudos to that other coach yep absolutely oh, Anthony Finelli yep tremendous I'll, I'll always remember when I went over to the other sideline those guys they were like actually they were like you know sometimes let's be honest oh their best player went down. They were like, I'm so sad that he went yeah. down. This was the, you wanna, another great game. If you're a real competitor, you want to compete yeah. against somebody against the at best. their best. Yep. Yeah. Not when they're... I don't want to beat them at their best. Exactly. Exactly. But now, what, what were your coaches... You you had Mike's father as a kid. What Did, did your father ever coach? My dad and mom got divorced early. So my father coached baseball in Kearney. Uh, he's a Belleville guy. And I never played... I, I don't think I could play with my dad my dad was real hardcore and uh and my mother and my stepfather were never involved in any of the sports that i did i was sort of on my own you know i walked every practice i did you know we talked about that last time i was never i didn't have involvement it was like me i did everything you know so because i you know i had his dad was an awesome football coach he had uh uh shillary was good you know you run into these guys years years later and they remember you and they say stuff to you and they're like i'm like it's just you know i mean I played with really good football players, like I, really good. I played with him, uh, Mike Tatora, Darren Sellers. I mean, uh, Keith yeah. Nelson. I mean, everybody on that team was just Eric Gratz. And there's just a really, really good group of guys. I hear Mike talk about his father, the way he coached him. I hear, I'm hearing you talk about it. I didn't have that foundation. Like my father was a motherfucker as a coach. And I never want like it turned me off to sports. And that's why when I went away to college, I was so happy just to get away from him. So he wouldn't be at my games, no less being a coach. Um, he was that guy that would never, you know, there's, there's a fine line you walk between 
criticism and beating somebody down. Mm. You know, you, you, you don't yell at a kid for striking out. Fucking Babe Ruth had the, had the most strikeouts in the major leagues. You it's know, constructive criticism. Correct. It's like, okay, here's why you struck out. All right. You got 20 seconds to think about yeah. it and then you got to move. Break on. them down, build them back up. There's yeah. all kinds of slogans to it. It's, it's coaching your own kids is a very difficult task. It's hard because don't forget you have them all the time. Yeah. And then now you're coaching them and you're coaching. Them. So two, two scenarios come into play. Either you think they're better than they are and you treat them fucking like they're the greatest thing. And then it builds like a, an animosity for the rest of the team and the coaches and the parents see all that shit. Don't forget we're volunteers too. Nobody's paying us for this shit or they're not paying you or no. Well, huh. or Ixnay on the, on the APEC <laughs> or the other part, which is just equally as bad. You treat them fucking 10 times worse than everybody else on the team. You're harder on them. You expect more from them. You, you use them to make an example. So the rest of the team doesn't think you're giving them a special treatment. I think with, with my current, my particular situation, it was expecting me to do something that he couldn't maybe fulfilling something, uh, uh, untapped potential that he may have had, but maybe just didn't have the drive to do it. So he was going to have his son do it. And I see that with a lot of coaches. I really do. They live through their children. They live vicariously vicariously through their kids. So if you had to pick out something, let's, what's something that you saw growing up in one of your coaches that you said, no, that's not me. Like you learn as much from the the bad coaches as you do from the good. Probably learn more from the bad coaches. And I got to say, Support for the Suffering Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Your products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Inside the package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0, Weed Whacker, Ear Nose, Hair Trimmer, and the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. And we also got the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. This is a, this thing is a life changer. Along with that, boxer briefs. I'm going to tell you what these are. These are like high quality boxer briefs, and I'm, this is no joke. I'm not saying this just because their manscape sent it to us. These are nice. My boys are going to be quite happy in there. You can't tell Kevin's wearing them under the table right now. <laughs> and we also have a nice travel package. Join over eight million men worldwide who trust Manscape with this exclusive offer just for you. Twenty percent off and free worldwide shipping with the code TSP at Manscape.com. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of balls. My dad was at a lot of the incognito. I didn't know he was there. He never told me. He just showed up. And the one thing he would say to me, said to me later on in life, he goes, the only coaches that you have were any good were your leader coaches, you know, your football coaches. He goes, baseball, no good. He goes, not until you got to high school, you had some decent coaches. He's, he, but, uh, I think that the um, the crazy part of it, the screaming and yelling, like it's it's a necessary evil, but it has to be used that to and a team. It can't be singled out to one person, and it has to be uh, in a situation where you know it's going to motivate them. You but know? you know, I mean, teaching like this, you know, when I was coaching in North Arlington, the seventh and eighth grade kids, they didn't they didn't yell on anybody in the in the peewees and juniors, and then to get to the seniors. Now you're going to start yelling at them because next year gonna, they're going to go to high school. And those high school coaches don't care. They'll start yelling and screaming. So you got to almost ease them into, you know, it's, it's like, a, it's, it's like a, a progression. Absolutely. What's your main objective as a youth football coach on the eighth grade level, especially on the eighth grade level? 
everybody says, oh, winning. You got to win. No. No. Let's get them ready for high Development. Yeah. Okay. You got to get them ready for high school. That means you better have a relationship with your high school. You better see, because most of those kids are going to that high school. They're not going to Bergen Catholic. They mm-hmm. might think they are, but they're going to end up in North Arlington or Lynnhurst or Rutherford or wherever. Right. And those are all good schools, all good programs, but you're going to have to, you have to develop them. So it's all about development. If you happen to win in the process, that's gravy and that's great. They get to experience that, but it's, it's so much different if you're doing it the right way. A lot of these coaches just want to win, win, win. So they, and they sacrifice the development yeah, exactly. part. Exactly. High they, school coach has a tough time dealing with that. My junior program did that. They put all their eggs into one basket with a quarterback. Quarterback's not going to the high school. He's going to a private school. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, Listen, I've been doing it a real long time. And uh, one of my, like, I stopped coaching my kids young because the guy who was running the program at the time that I took his place, but I coached with him all the way through was Joe Witt. Joe Witt, Carney guy, excellent quarterback for Carney High and a fantastic football coach. I guess my oldest was a peewee. He said, can you come up and coach seniors with me? I said, I really want to stay down with my son. He goes, why don't you come up with me and coach everybody else like you coach your son? He goes, because you're a really good coach. He said, you do things on a peewee level that the high school guys are doing. He goes, because I see you, you're a hundred, you're a hundred miles an hour. You want to like, you know, and that was my work ethic. I just wanted to be the best. And I had more of a passion for coaching football. I ran basketball before that. I coached baseball sports that I was actually good at. You there's know what I mean? no, there's nothing like coaching football. Football's nothing. the best. And, and it, it teaches so many life lessons and there's so much more involved, but it became, I can honestly tell you that I coach youth football. Like I'm a college coach. Like I, my practices are ran like they run practices at fucking Brown. Like, you know what I mean? Everything is like everything is scheduled. And that's the one lesson that I took from my because I was the head coach of I, I coached the the uh, JV, but I also coached I was the head coach of the clinic, which is third and fourth. And I so you get the most out of your practices if you schedule it. And I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the high school coaches thing and he water breaks walk out like everything is perfectly scheduled. I did that this year and I had enough assistant coaches where I could put all that stuff in play and not overwhelm myself. It worked out. Perfectly. We got the most out of every single practice. Yeah. What I did is, is I, so I, I get up to the eighth grade now and I don't see my kid for three years, Mm. you know, and he gets to me mature. He's had other coaches, not that bad. Didn't have to correct a lot of things. And now he was ready for my, you know, how I do my deal. I'm a defensive coach, but I, I coach the running backs and the wide receivers, but my thing's defense. And it just was so much better. And I was so glad that he asked me to do that. And I did it. And then I got to coach them when they were bigger and they're ready to go to high school now. They're ready to go, you know, and we had a lot of success. We had, we had a lot of success and they learned a lot and they go to high school and that's, that's the best reward. When a kid comes back to you, like I have kids come back to me and say, thank you so much. Mm. You were the best coach I ever had, or you made me a better high school player. Like I, you're always available to me. You know, so I, I, I always, I had one of the greatest feelings of my life is when one of the kids you coached said, I never had as much fun playing football as I did when I was with you. I was playing semi-pro football back then. I don't know if you remember that. I remember when I, when I was coaching the little kids in North Arlington, I was playing semi-pro football and I had, I always left my equipment in the car. And if the kids weren't hitting in practice, I'd go out, get my shoulder pads, put them on, put a helmet on and they'd come through and they didn't, I wouldn't hit them hard, but you want, you think you're that good. You come and block me. You come and block Lay them out. Hit me. Yeah. The, parents after practice are saying that was fantastic i mean that was great it because we made it fun 
you know, you made it fun. It, I mean, it's, it's a sport. And like you said, you want to win, but it's all about learning at that point. Yeah, and it's about, let's, he said a great thing. Mike just said an awesome thing. <clears throat> we play sports to have fun, you know? I mean, if you really take the percentage of how many elite players you're going to have that are going to make it to the next level, I which heard is, the percentage which is, is so small. which college is college. Okay. Make it to that next level for all, for everything. D3, D2, D1, D power five. All right. That percentages are super low all across yeah, the board, yeah. all across the board. So listen, have fun. And if you'll pick your kids out that have that next, that want to do it and you'll see them and you still coach them all the same. But you can now you can work with that kid. You can give him more to handle. Like, but I I've seen coaches like so. The whole reason that I I got into coaching, I'm, I was a I was an offensive line guy from the time I was seven until I was twenty two, and I know in junior league football you take the kid who's slow, who's who's you know that that's it. You put oh when you don't know take where your to put lineman, a kid, your heavy guys. You put it up there. So my job here's how I here's how I saw it. I didn't learn the value of the offensive line until I got into later years in high school and college. And then I realized that that's the most important position on the field. Cause without you guys, you don't get a playoff. So I had to instill that into somebody who, who was getting cast aside. And that's the only reason, cause I never wanted to coach my kids because of my bad experience. So I want you to tell me, why did you get into coaching? Was it just for the love, or did you want to give your kids some extra instruction, some some stuff you had up here? I I was watching flag football, and I I never I I don't just look at my kid, like you know I don't like my wife will say to me when she's watching our daughter she says I'm not paying attention to the rest of the team I'm watching her. You watch the whole picture, I watch everything, everything. And uh, I was watching flag football, and I was like. I wouldn't do it like that, you know, <laughs> because you know what, when I was an adult, I, because just to reverse a little bit, Mike gave a story about a, a, someone who said something to him when he was younger. And, uh, I had a, an athletic director at Queen of Peace. He passed away. He was a really good guy. Eddie Abram. Eddie Abramitis. And he said to me, uh, I was like, I don't know, I was 20 something. I was playing touch football and flag football and softball everywhere, you know, reliving the stuff that I was a playground jock, you know, and Steve Nash was in, uh, Tormelinos or something with, with Abro. I was like 25, 26 years old. Like I'm walking in. He, Steve goes, Hey, you know, Bob, Bobby's a great athlete. He goes, you ever bump up, up. And Abramitis was now Abramitis when he, where I was little, like he was this big muscle head. Now I'm this big guy. We, we used to like, call him you know, Eddie arms. Yeah. He, 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 he like this. He says to me, <laughs> Yeah, he was a really good athlete. A really good athlete. The biggest underachiever I've ever met in my life. Ooh. You know what? I I didn't I didn't even face I didn't say nothing. I just I just nodded my head and said, You're right, coach. And then he hugged me. And he said, He goes, I tried. He goes, I tried. He goes, You weren't he goes, You weren't having it. He goes, When you transferred to to North Arlington, they called Rip Collins, said you got a three sport guy here. Make him stay back. He's immature. Make him stay back. He's young. Make him stay back and play two years with you guys. My stepfather wasn't going for it, but that was my, that's all me. You know, you got to own that shit. 
You know, I just was, I was content to go to Jefferson playground and I can play basketball and stick ball and play touch football and, you know, organized sports were that important to me. I played them, but it wasn't the thing for me. He was a playground all-star. Oh, big time legend. (laughs) At what point you're watching flag football and then. Okay. I'm watching flag. I got off track there. So I'm watching flag and I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like this. So I asked Joe Witt if I could get involved and he said, yeah, get your fingerprints done. And I, I started doing stuff a little different for everybody and uh and, and listen i already knew my son was a good athlete like he was young so i knew he was good i knew he was going to be good i didn't have to worry about oh i'm worried about how good he's going to be or what's he going to do i just knew he that would the athletic part would take care of itself i wanted him to learn the right ways i have a lot of friends he's one of them that really know football and i've always been the coach that uses his resources you know what i mean mm-hmm. i really use my resources i have very close friends that are awesome coaches on the high school level. I got this guy. He comes to all my games. I'm not afraid. I'm the coach that raises his hand and goes, I got a question. Cause I'm not, I don't have the ego. You, I just you, want to do the best I can for the kids. Vince Lombardi didn't know everything. Yeah. You, you always got to look out, you know, reach out for some help somewhere. But what I do do, I outwork everybody. Mm. I outwork everybody. I'm talking eight hours a day in front of the computer. This is eighth grade football. My wife's like, you're still in the same spot you were when you I left this morning. I said, I, I got up and I had some coffee. I went to the gym. I came back. You're watching filming. This is eighth grade. I said, I got a preparations, everything, babe. Hard work beats talent, but especially I, when talent doesn't work hard. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I got involved. And then it transpired into me becoming an eighth grade coach sooner than most guys because they go up with their kids the whole way. I learned a lot from them. I went to a shitload of coaching clinics. I mean, Everything, online clinics, everything, uh, you name it. Some fucking coach from West Virginia that's coaching group two down there. I'm watching him and he has a great idea about something. So I just absorbed all that and well, I call guys all the time. So kudos to you for stepping up because being a coach for as long as you, you have the sideline coaches, you know, they have a lot to say, but they never want to get involved. And there's plenty of places in the organization for them to get involved. Plenty of places. And it's not always on the field, but they'll sit there and they'll criticize you. And what I, I well, those are the people in the stands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The, those are the people in the they stands. They don't want to come down and yeah, do it. And that's why I don't sit in the stands and watch so, most yeah. of the games. I did this once where I took my parent giving me a bunch of shit. Cause his kid was eating turf. <laughs> I took my whistle off and I said, if you think you can do it here, I'll give up my salary to you. I've been like, there. You know, I'll, be, I'll give up there. my salary to Mine you. Mine was more like, no, I don't want to do it. How about you take your fat ass out of the stands and come <laughs> down here? I, the turf will handle you. Come over here. You show my line how to block. Okay. Yeah, you were more, a little bit more diplomatic than Bobby I was. <laughs> I can tell you a quick story about mm. the mic. This sums me up the way I coach. Um, playing in the champion, uh, the quarterfinals this year, first round of the playoffs. We're playing Lynnhurst down in Sea Caucus. But, Separate field, you know, away field. Everybody gets a, everybody, every year, one field gets the quarters mm-hmm. and the semis. Very good team, Lynnhurst. Uh, we battled during the season. They beat us in the last second uh, and we were, we were playing fantastic. We were three and oh, we're like looking to go four and oh, we had them. We were killing them and they came back and won last second throw. Okay. Get to the playoffs. We know we got them in the first round. We're losing 13, eight at halftime. Um, I look. Now he's always on the sidelines. He's always there. He's lurking around, you know what I mean? It's like, just like, you know, he'll, you'll see a move and shit like that. I'll be like, stop fucking moving. <laughs> Distracted. So I looked at him and I said, I got to make some kind of adjustment there. He's getting outside. 
they had a really good running back. He says to me, crash your ends. So I look at him. He goes, they're not running a sweep. He goes, they're running power. And then he's bouncing it outside because the guard's pulling and getting on your linebacker. Your end's containing. He goes, and then he's off to the fucking races. Your safety can't get there. And that kid was fast, too. Yeah. So I said, bingo. Thank you. And, and like, I made my adjustments. I made my adjustments. Crashed my end. Line, now, what the end crashes, what happens is the lead blocker or the back, they ran deep back. Like, remember how Adrian Peterson used to be like yeah, eight like the yards, eight off yards the ball? deep? So they would just toss the ball to him and he wouldn't go outside. He run, they run power toss and they run power hand, power, just regular power pro set, right? right? So he would be going six hole. By the way, gap. you've lost our audience. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, he's going to run the ball into the line. And then once he gets through the line, he's going to bounce it outside. He's off to the race. This kid's a good athlete. So what we did, we crash our end. So he crashes across that tight end or across that uh, tackle's face into the backfield. And what he does is he takes on the pulling guard or he runs right into the back, which causes a log jam and makes now the kids in the backfield. He has to go outside. He can't get through the line. Now he's one on one with my linebacker and one of my tackles or my middle linebacker. And Mike gave me that idea. They didn't gain a yard the rest of the freaking half. And we ended up scoring twice and winning. Yeah. And and that was because I listened to Mike. I didn't, I, I might've did something completely different. It may have worked, but he, I, I always am open to whoever, like if I trust you, if it's some guy that's standing out in front of Seven Eleven smoking a Marlboro. Like I said, constructive criticism or, or ideas from someone yeah, who hey, knows. Listen, you I, don't I, listen to the parents in the stand saying, you know, put my kid in there. My kid could do better than that. It was like, it was like he was there and it was almost like it was meant to be like, he said something to me. And then after the game, everyone was saying, Bob, what an awesome, like telling me how great the defense was. Defense was playing pretty good in the first half. They let up two decently long touchdowns. But other than that, we had some nice stops. I said, Right there, Mike. And Mike said, no, 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 no. He goes, you had the whole body of it. I just gave you an idea. Well, sometimes that perspective from somebody who is not intimately involved, you you get really intimately involved and you you don't see the holes that, yeah, you, no. that you're that you not missing. Like I said before, sometimes six eyes are better than two. Yeah. So did you ever get accused of daddy ball? No. no. I'm sure I have behind but you've my back. Behind it. your back, yeah. But you've witnessed it. I've witnessed daddy ball lots of times and I've confronted it in my own organization as the vice president for like over 10 years. And now the president, I have went to coaches and said, no, that's not going to work. I've never done it. Well, do, explain to everybody what daddy ball is. Daddy ball is when you take your kid and you make him the focus of everything you do. And you're only coaching your son and you're not coaching anybody else. And it just can't happen. I've told guys that they have to leave because of it. Now, is it, when when coaches do that, a lot of a lot of times parents will coach to assure that their kids will play. Yeah. This listen, in my organization, in my program, and I can say this probably for every team in the Meadowlands Football League, which we're both very familiar with, the best eleven play. Because most of these other places are all about just winning. You know what I mean? And that's not a bad thing. They still get the development part in there because they got good coaches and they work the kids hard. It's they want to win. They don't care what you know, Mary's saying and Jack, oh yeah, my son's this and that. No, he's not. I tell the parents right up. I say, why isn't he in the game? Because he'll get killed if I put him in the game. He's not ready. I say, or he'll get it. someone else killed. So we're going to go B games and then I have B games. So I let them play B games the next day. Parents are so happy about it because they get to see their kids. And I tell them it's a safety issue. You do realize that football's the most violent sport. That and hockey. Actually, actually, <laughs> you know what? I heard a, and I use this to recruit players. 
So do you know how many kids last year died playing junior league football? And we're talking eighth grade and below? No. Eight. Do you know how many kids died playing baseball? Nine. Yeah, they got hit by pitches or something? Yeah, usually taking a line drive down third, hitting the chest, something like that, or beamed in the head or something. Do you believe that, that more kids play, died playing baseball, yet no parent ever has a problem when their son or, son or daughter wants to play baseball or softball? I can tell you no one's ever died from playing pocket pool. <laughs> One of the best sports out there. Yeah, man. Especially when you're bored. <laughs> you just bring it back, don't right. you? You just gotta bring you just gotta bring it down. Moving no, right but, along. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome so, to Bobby Crudel. Yeah, right. <laughs> but every it's a life of sacrifice taken taken on the coaching position with, with your kids because I would be there anyway. I would be at the field anyway because I'm invested in my kids' lives. I like watching it. But here's the here's the sacrifice that I made. I have never watched my oldest play a complete football game. Like you. I never just, I try, you know, you try to watch here and there, but I'm watching the field or I'm watching the line. I'm watching, I'm watching five other guys or six other guys. So I never, I, and that's what was that's so, what films for, but that, that was what was so great about the eighth grade thing. And it kind of, my, my dreams got stomped on. I told the head coach, he said, I said, I'm just excited to see a complete game of my son that I can watch. And he goes, yeah, don't get used to that idea. <laughs> I go, no, it doesn't ah. happen. I mean, yeah, I mean, you want, when you're coaching, you want to fixate on your son and watch how he's doing. But as a coach, you have to watch the big picture. Correct. You have to watch everything. Somebody has to, because don't forget, now you have a coaching staff comprised of four or five other guys, and each, most of them have a kid on the field, mm-hmm. right? Sure. In they my wa- case, this last year, I had one, two, three coaches that had players on the field all significant players all very good players not just role players not just some kid we threw in on third down here and there to get some reps because he gave someone a blow significant good players all going to be excellent players on the high school level and they're not they listen i coach differently you know what i mean like i said i really do i'm proud of it i go after it i have a passion for it i love it i want to coach on a high school level so bad but i just can't do it because of my job and everything else but I know what they're doing. And if I say, what the fuck is crop doing at a, at a, over on the defensive line? Is he, what's he doing? What's he, is he getting killed up there? I can't see. No one can tell me mm. because everybody's looking. Now I'm not saying that's a, that happened. They were great coaches. They, they, they knew what their roles were, but that can happen. So we put somebody up top who has no affiliation to anybody. Watch the defensive line, watch the offensive line. If I want to know what my left guard's doing, you better tell me what he's doing. What's he doing? Don't watch the ball because even the referees watch the damn ball and they miss plays constantly. I, oh, look who, look at him. What you didn't see? Well, those players, those those coaches with significant players on the field, do you think that their kids are significant because they're so involved or they got involved because their kids were significant? Well, most of my guys got involved at a very young age. And one of them I actually recruited. He wasn't coaching and he played at Queen of Peace and he was a very good player. He was a linebacker and I remembered him, remember him playing. He's in his early forties, but I remember I was, I'm, I always was watching Queen of Peace cause I went there, you know, and I knew he was, and I said, Hey, listen, you got a lot to offer. I said, he goes, I don't, you know, I'm, I played, but you know, it's very difficult for certain players to coach, you know, cause yeah. they, they have a hard time with the transition part. But he did well, and he's a good asset to our our staff. He's not trying to break any world records. You know, he does what he does. What he does. But all dads get caught watching their kids. No, it's not watching their kids. It's it's that extra attention 
that that you can give. And listen, on the ride home from football, you can't tell me that you're not saying, "Hey, you did this really good," or "This needs work." I never I, say anything. Though. See, see, I, I, we, we work on this stuff. Like, hey, maybe I can put you over here. That's that's the way my mind thinks with, especially with the line. Maybe if I put you over here, I can bring you around on a pole if they're doing the sweep or something. You know, and that's they got to be ready for it. Right after a game, I realized unless we just won by forty, isn't a good time to talk about anything. You know what I mean? So it's it's more like a day later. My son, my youngest one, dad, are you watching film? Yeah. Oh, uh, I want to watch with you. That's cool. Break down the film. Break it down. Oh, look at this. It pays off. It's we're so playing easy. defense and he's, we're playing against Rutherford and he's telling me they're going to run. He comes over to sidelines real quick. He goes, they're going to run X 37 Z. I said, I said, that's our play. He goes, they stole it. So he went up and he made the play. And I was like, dude, he saw it. He saw the formation, but he's a quarterback. So quarterbacks should know defensive formations and offensive formations. See, I I never coached my son in junior football. I coached him in baseball. But I was a volunteer coach at at my son's high school. And I'd critique him, you know, like like we're saying, constructive criticism. I'd say, you know, maybe you should do it like this. Maybe you should. You never jump down a kid's throat and say, why the fuck did you do it? What's the the hardest? What's the hardest? sport to coach your kid in football football for you seems very easy you know because you have that passion for the game and i'm sure it's the same thing for you mike like my my youngest plays soccer i know i can't mm-hmm. coach soccer i know nothing about soccer well I, my my daughter's first year playing soccer the, the coach said oh, you know if any of your parents want to coach we lost one of our coaches my shy little daughter goes my daddy will coach oh that was a soccer coach i knew nothing about soccer yeah i don't know that anything i, I know nothing about soccer player but i don't i i Basketball was the hardest sport to coach both of them in. They're very good players. What age? Just all the way up. Like, it just. I think once you hit the fifth, sixth grade, basketball becomes very, very challenging. Below that's pretty yeah, simple. Yeah, it's, it's easy then down there. But, like, when we got older, for me, it's it was teaching them defensive philosophy, just playing basketball defense and yeah, I, I sound like a broken record. Everything's defense for me. You know, well, I, you keep, it just promotes so much more when you're a good defense player. Now, my big guy was such a good athlete. And I was like, you play defense terribly. Hmm. Like, it's just, you're terrible. You're lazy. You get lazy steals and then you're faster than everybody. Fast break. I said, you got to get your arms up. Like, they, he never wanted to listen to me about it, you know? And it's reflected in the high school coaches. He played varsity as a freshman and sophomore before he stopped. And now he's just focusing on football. He's like, he was a starter and he, they would say if he was just a little more effort on defense, it was almost like he was saving himself for offense. They said, why your outside shot sucks. But the, <laughs> just, just, but, but you know, some of that have is, these conversations. Some of I'm that not is, your coach anymore. <laughs> some of that is passion, both you and your son. Your son obviously has more of a passion for football than oh, yeah. he does basketball. You obviously have more of a passion. For when football. I was playing, I had more passion for basketball because I just played it really well. It was, it was easy for me to play. Right. You know, and, and, but like he loves football and he wants to play on the next level. Like, so now it's a really good relationship. There's no, it's like, listen, this is what you need to do, but you need, I'm not the one that's going to get football in college is a, is a fucking job, my man. Yeah. There's not a whole lot no of fun. There's greatest, meetings. There's this, there's the that. the greatest thing ever. It is. But I'm just telling him, listen, time to get a little more mature. I'm not saying you can't go down to shore with your friends. Have fun. Do your mm. thing. But when it's time to work, it's time to work, you know, yeah. or else. You know, I think one of the hardest things to coach your kid in is baseball. See, baseball is is one of those things where I've I love football, but I have a passion for baseball. I always did. 
Well, they say the hardest thing in all of sports is to hit, hit a baseball. A, hit a, yeah. Hit you a know, major league baseball. You, your kid strikes out. What are you going to say? It was a terrible swing. You know, no. I, tell, I used to tell my son all the time, Derek Jeter struck it. You know, everybody strikes out. You're going to strike out, but a kid strikes out and he's got like tears coming down his face. It's fucking baseball. Yeah. You got to put it behind you and, so, and let's go on. That's it's a, very tough. That's all sports though. If you have a kid that's very emotional about things like that and carries things, what did they always used to say to us? You make an error in the outfit, don't take it to the plate. Yeah, exactly. And if you strike out, don't take it to the field. Yeah. Short-term memory loss. You better have it. I never, I fucked up more than anybody. I need to be like, you know, all right. <laughs> I'm starting to see that with my oldest. He's very, very hard on himself. So I ha- I actually have to go talk to him in between, like say he strikes out and in between, I have to, okay, you have 20 seconds to feel bad about this, but you got to get over it because you got to go out in the field. All right, feel bad about it. Nobody's telling you you did anything wrong. The, made, the pros strike out plenty of times. It's it's not about that. It's about picking yourself up. But it's almost like um, you want, your, Mike and I have talked about this before. You, it's almost you want your kids to taste a little failure just to see how they react. Because I don't know about you, as a coach, I learn way more from a kid who fails and watching them, how they lose or how they fail, than winning. And it's how they pick themselves up after it. So your your true judge of character is how you handle adversity. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the football field, as a team, you will face adversity. It could be your best player gets injured. It could be you know you're just not having your best day, and this team's up on you, and you should be killing them. And it's what you do, how you pick yourself up, how you handle it. That's because it's not the going isn't always good, you know. And that's every sport, but. In football, it's it's just a little different. Everything's just a little different with football. And and that's where you teach these kids. Like I coach them to deal with the adversity. And it's how much they believe in you as a coach. They like, you know, we're not doing this for like I said, this is free. Volunteer all the way. And I do it. So they look at me and they go. But okay. I teach the so the way my philosophy of coaching is a lot like you had in the police academy. That's my philosophy of coaching. So my if I'll pick out the individuals on the team and they're very easy to spot, very, you know, and you break them down as individuals and you build them back up as a, as a team. And it's, it's tough, but I have, a, listen, I, it, it's a little bit of finesse because I have to talk to the parents. I said, look, this is what I'm doing. This is my coaching plan. Just bear with me. I'm not, it's not that I hate your kids because in reality, you can't ever raise your voice to a kid if that kid doesn't know that you love them. Like all of your players, I'm sure you become very bonded to all of your players. And they they wouldn't listen to you unless it's coming from a place of love. But aren't aren't you as a coach pretty much molding these kids for the rest of their lives? Yes. That's why you're gonna see failure. I I used to tell the kids all the time, seventy two dolphins are the only team that ever went undefeated in any sport. Yep. You're gonna lose games. You're gonna you're gonna lose games. You're gonna taste failure. Losing is part of life. Lose losing is the best learning tool. Yeah, it is. And and to you said something interesting about the police academy. Um, I had, a, I draw from all my experiences in life when I coach, uh, you don't even realize you're doing it. I won a P I had 75 people in my class. I won that PT award. It was mine. It was mine. The minute I walked in there, I was older than everybody. I was like 30. Everyone who was 20 something. I was like, nobody's going to beat me in this thing. Every category, I'm going to blow everybody out of water. It was my Olympics. Like, swear to God, it was my time to shine. I, I sound silly. He still has like, the gold medal at like, home. Dude, he made it himself. Got the fucking thing. <laughs> I was like, yo, I said, can I get a ring? <laughs> no, but seriously, I won it. And I was, I was upset because they treated me like I was better than everybody else. You know, they treated me and they made other people feel bad that they couldn't do certain things. And I knew even then 
just because I won some fucking PT award ain't going to make me any better of a police officer. It really isn't because I know plenty of cops who couldn't fucking do that mile and a half that well and were slow as shit and, you know, couldn't do more than 30 pushups. But they're fantastic cops because it's way more than that. Yeah, it helps you in certain situations. You know what I mean? Being fit. I'm surprised but, they didn't go after you for for do, for having that attitude. Well, no, they did. They tried to. But I, I'm i a very confident individual. I always stay strong. And I was like, Psh. I just won the PT award. Fuck. You know what I mean? I just, I would, I had that attitude with them and I got, did plenty of pushups in the hallway because of it. But like, <laughs> like I didn't, I was like, I stuck, I always stuck up for the weaker kid. I hung out with everybody. We came from a small town and I was friends with everybody. The nerds, the geeks, the, the non-athlete guys, the, 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 guys stone, like, the stoners, the sports. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> we were friends with everybody, you know? And, and I had compassion for people, you know, I'm like, listen, if you can't cut it as a cop, then, you know, you can't cut it. But some of these guys are real good. They got the shit. They were good shooters. They they did all the extractions from the vehicles well. And they were treating them like they were losers because they couldn't fucking do but there's 50 a, push-ups. There's a fine line. There's a fine line between cockiness and cof, cocking, or confidence. confidence. So one of our friends, Lee Rusan, he played in the blue and gray game. And on the bus, he, tell, he told us this story out of his own mouth. On the bus, he sits down. Guy sits down next to him and says this. I am Jerry Rice the greatest wide receiver in the NFL. And he wasn't even in the NFL yet. Same way that you went into the police academy with that confidence, you know, you made yourself into it. At some way, you 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 don't want to break that confidence because that confidence can be a very valuable asset, but you need to build the the team around that confidence, almost bring everybody up to the same level of confidence in order to believe in themselves. I don't know, but if you saw a kid come on the field with that type of I don't know whether it's cockiness or confidence. What would you do? How would you handle it? I'd feed off of it. I'd see where it goes, you know, and I'd have to dial it back at a time. But, you know, you, you I want kids to come on the field and be super cocky. I don't want them talking shit. I don't want them to make their teammates feel like shit. I want them to, you develop leadership. That's one of the biggest things in football, right? Teamwork. And you find out who your real leaders are. They should be your captains. It shouldn't be because, you know, Dad's been coaching for now. Let's throw him a bone. He should be a captain. Oh, let's make a team captain. That kid could captain his way to the fucking bathroom. No, he's good for what he does. He blocks and that's it. He ain't going to be no captain. I ain't throwing bones out there. I'm kind of hardcore old school with that shit. You got to display something to the team that they, as a teammate, I can look up to you and say, Mike Felice. I'm looking up. I'm not. I'm not lying. I looked up to Mike. I was a lot taller than him, but I always looked up to him when we were kids because on your knees. Mike was just a really good guy. And he was a really good guy to play. We played sports together, like in playground stuff. We were, he was just a really good person. And I always looked up to him because you always had your back. That was the other thing. And that's part of football. I want my guy over here to have my back. I got to know my job. You got to know your job. If all 11 players know their job, you're going to have success, right? But then you start getting involved and become a little more complicated. What's the uh, left tackle doing on this play? You don't know. Some kids don't have the IQ for it, but some kids do. And if you start learning what everybody else is doing, you have their back. Just like if I was walking over to school and some fucking eighth grader was going to start a fight with me and Mike was with me. Guess what? We were going to have a fight or he was going to, they weren't going to fight because Mike was with me. You know what I mean? Like you have my back and that's a, that's a weird analogy, but it's true. And that transpires how you grow up and how you do things transpires into football. Just getting back to the, the cockiness and confidence. When you're a confident player, it's going to show on the field. If you're just a cocky, arrogant asshole on the field. I think it has to do a little bit with parenting. 
I really do. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think but, it has to do with how you raise your kids. How many kids got dropped off on the field and say, here, parent my kid? Yeah. Exactly. It's you awesome. became it's a everyone's baby, parent. You yeah. became a babysitting yeah. service. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Be, but, what, what the, it's six o'clock. What so time's you, practice over 8 30? So you're, 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 you're trying to say the cockiness is masking a deficiency. It yeah, could be. I think so. Yeah, it's possible. I think it's so. It's called so, low self esteem. Yeah, that's what and it is. Some people that have low self esteem want to appear to be something. Like I always say, it's a lot of these high school programs that are big time programs, they get really good players. I'm not saying all of them, there's particular few of them. The head coach is fantastic. His offensive quarter, his DC is good. Then all the other coaches, they want to appear to be coaches. Yeah. And I hope no one takes offense to that. But if you do, tough shit. It's true. Oh, I'm on so-and-so staff. And all I have to do is this. And I'm on that step. But how effective really are you? You know what I mean? Why do I see your defensive backs doing this stupid shit out there? If you're the DB coach, you're supposed to be telling them what they're, how do they do a press? How, where are they supposed to be? It's a, your receiver stemming the fucking defensive back that's taking an inside position or is he just fucking running his route and not going well who's the receiver coach I mean these are the things that I think about you know what I mean and I'm like I want to appear I don't want everyone to appear to be anything I want to be that thing you know but with the with the cockiness I have seen cocky football players that take a loss like I I, I had a kid great play like athlete really Horrible loser, like absolutely horrible loser. And I've spent two years working on this kid and working on that. He comes in off a little cocky when he wants to play, but I've seen him lose and just break down. And I, and I said, I keep telling him, I, every time I see him now, I said, who's your biggest enemy? And he already knows the answer. It's mm. myself. Like that's what he, that's what he knows. He knows that is. And I'm just going to drill that into his head because this is the type of kid, if he's coached early enough and that cockiness, which is a deficiency because he doesn't know how to lose, if we can erase that and replace it with confidence and being able to pick up the rest of his team to raise to that high tide raising all the boats, he can be something special. And I know he can. It's not my son. It's it's it's, it's a friend of mine's son, but mm-hmm. um, it, I, there's a way to coach around that. You know, you're coaching each individual, not just the team, too. That's the other thing we failed to realize. You know, a lot of times practice is kind of a generic thing. But I always try to, on the youth level, you really get to spend a lot of time with certain players. So you get to talk to them one-on-one, build up their confidence. You know who has the low self-esteem, who's the cocky kid who thinks he's better than everybody else, but he's really not. He's making up for a deficiency, but he can do something good for the team. You got to put him somewhere. You got to put him in the right spot. And you got to, you got to build them up, you know, and sometimes you got to break them down a little bit too, but that can happen on a one-on-one thing. I don't think it should happen in front, in front of, of the whole team. Whole team. Yeah. It's not Absolutely. a good idea. 100% Every correct. now and then the whole team will get broken down all at once. You know what I mean? Cause they need a little wake up check. They start thinking they're, they're having, you know, they get a little too confident themselves as a team. They get together, but then you see who your leaders are and who, if they come together as a team and they start doing things and you don't have to do that part of the coaching, you've done your job. But I think it's getting over those mental blocks with kids. Yeah. No. I do like, that's my big thing. I, I teach them how to get over mental blocks. And one of the, one of the, one of my proudest moments as a coach, one of my absolute proudest moments. So we did, uh, we did snakes often for conditioning after practice. Well, one time I call out a hundred yard snake. Now at the time I'm in such pain with my hips. I had the, my hips were just destroyed. I couldn't run. I couldn't do anything. I said, I'll tell you what, they know I was in, they knew I was in pain every single practice. I said, I'll run the snakes with you. So some of the kids, as soon as they call out a hundred yard snake, Oh my God. Oh my God. Do you know, there was one kid who 
it's my proudest achievement because he would come in last in everything. And he just never believed in himself. He finished that 100-yard snake. And you had to see the look on his face because he got past that mental block. And he wasn't even last. There was some of my running backs were last. It was embarrassing. But um, I think getting kids over that mental block, instilling that confidence in them is going to produce so, such a better, much better football team. Because I, I, I you know, I, I at that said, level anyway. I always said in coaching, I wouldn't tell a kid to do something that I couldn't do. The one year when I was set bear crawls, I tell them to do bear crawls all the time. And I hated bear crawls. When I was volunteer coaching at the high school, I took over the summer conditioning for the, the football team. I did every drill with them, every drill. And we, we, we were split up into like three different groups. You know, half of them, be, someone would be lifting, someone would be you know, running a bleacher. Some they be, respect you more. I did every drill with them. They said, if I could do it at 50 years old, yeah. you could do it. And I'll tell you what, that's motivational for them. And, and they, that should inspire them to do more. You know what I mean? It should make them real oh, coaches doing it with us. And I think that's cool. I used to, when I trained the uh, recruits, when I used to do the recruits and get them ready for the academy, I did everything with them. That was my drill. I got down yeah. and, I, and I respect every push them for up, it. every run, every pull up, everything. Come on, let's go. Yeah, who's going to beat me today in push-ups? That used to be the big thing. Who's going to beat me? In, who thinks they can beat me in push-ups? So we used to do like contests and stuff like that. So- even even after retirement, everybody that got hired after me in Lynnhurst, I got them in shape for the academy on my own time. Even after I retired, the chief would call me and say, "Mike, do me a favor. We just hired four. Could you get them in shape for the academy?" Out running at five o'clock in the morning every day with these recruits. But that my my. Police Academy drill taught me how to coach. And that's the truth. Because again, he did everything with us. But conversely to that, we went to the range. And one of the guys from another department just liked to break balls. He was this big, fat, overweight guy. And he just liked to throw you down and do push-ups. Well, guess what? Everybody in that academy class called this guy a jerk-off. Nobody called the drill a jerk-off. And he did way more stuff to us, but he always did it with us. Until the one person, somebody drops, like it, it, it was a total of 75. I think somebody dropped 75 cents and we had to do side straddle hops on a four count. Nobody realizes how hard that is. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, relating coaching to the police academy, do you think coaching is like a paramilitary thing like the police academy is? Do you have to, do you have to break them down? To build I, them I believe that. I, I, I do. I think the breaking part comes in mini camp, you know, because you're yeah. getting them in. They just had their what they have of their summer. It's August 9th and you're going to get them in there and everybody went away and did the day. If everyone in our program pretty much doesn't go on vacation in August, they're pretty good. They're, they're committed. My big message is always that football is the biggest commitment you're ever going to make in your life. It just is. And you're going to find out why because minicamp's starting and it's conditioning. It's getting right into, dude, I do offense and defense on my first night of minicamp. I get them all together. We do everything. We get to an, like a flood, a tidal wave of, of, uh, of information right off the bat. And, you know, they walk off the field. And the other thing is, is I make the most of the three hours. Like I, there's no, there's no parents are sitting there going, uh, listen, this is what I do. I, I, I outwork. I work. I did a, like a mini combine this year, which was great because I let, I brought everybody in on a level playing field. Like we knew who the quarterback last year was. Well, sorry, you don't have a job. And we did a, like a mini combine. Everybody does that. But, uh, but, uh, but the mini combine, and I used it. I had a whole scoring mm-hmm. sheet by every coach, and we backed up everything. Okay, this guy was a quarterback. This is why he was the quarterback, because he can throw, he can move, he can do this and do this. This is why this guy's a lineman. This is why. But, and it just it solidified all of our decision-making. And it also made the kids try and work a little bit harder. It's good, too, because sometimes you have a kid that comes along, and he might be a little bit of a late bloomer, or he might want to try another position. And I always open it up and say, listen, 
Same thing. Who wants to be a quarterback this year? Mm. Okay. Usually nobody because it's the hardest position on the field to play and it's the most responsibility and no one wants to get blamed for everything. You know what I mean? So they don't, but every now and then there's a kid who steps up or they more rather be a running back receivers and I give them the shot. And after like a few weeks, but while they're getting their shot, they're still playing their position that they normally played, but they're getting that shot too. And if they show me something, they'll get in there. If they don't, they go back to what they were doing. But see, the, the, the tough thing is seventh and eighth grade kids' bodies are changing. Yeah. One kid will they be a stink. fat, he'll be a fat little, you know, tackle one year. The next year he comes back and he's, he's like jacked. Yeah, he's like a know? tight end. My son now, he's always been a lineman, but he's so much taller and like, but I don't have anybody else for the line. So he's just but, stuck But what's going to happen is, is you're going to see when sometimes you get these teams, like you'll have a mediocre team on the seventh and eighth grade level, you know, and those eighth graders are pretty good. They'll go to high school. But then that same group in high school is like winning a division and you're like, shit, they were just like. 500 when they were eighth graders because the line got bigger like i use our my school for example you know i have a great relationship with the high school coach and and their program and what they're doing i try to help as much as i can uh, change the culture that line that they have this year it's huge and they're all working out they're like 270 the average size they're humongous if they can't run the ball and they can't it'll be a travesty i mean they're that they're and the defensive line like deep, I'm talking like nine defensive linemen. Wow. I mean, they and they're big and strong. So my point is, is they weren't when 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 I had them. When I had them, I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm scraping the barrel here. I'm fucking. I'm. I'm I mean, I won the first round of the playoffs because God came down and played quarterback <laughs> you, for me. You brought theory in their lives. So if you if somebody came to you being a coach for as long as you did and said, you know, what 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 is the best piece of advice you could give somebody looking to get into coaching, especially on the junior league level? It's going to sound generic. You got to do it for the right reasons. You know, you got to know what your reason is. Okay. So my son is, he, he, ever since he came out, he's been running around the house with a football. It's amazing. He's going to be the next Barry Sanders. Okay, pal, here we go. Now you want to coach? Remember, he's not going to be the next Barry Sanders. He's not going to go to Bergen Catholic. He's not going to do anything. He's not even going to play high school football. What he's going to do is he's going to play flag football and you're going to coach it and you're going to coach him. And everybody else on that team, the same way, exactly the same way. So if you're going to be overzealous towards your son, you're going to be overzealous towards everybody. If you're going to be the medium, the road guy, I don't want anybody to think I'm a daddy coach here, then, and I'm not concerned. I'm going to treat everybody the same way, but I'm going to be consistent because consistency in life is a benefactor. Consistency in coaching is a main ingredient to be something special. If you're coaching, you should want to be special. You should want somebody to be standing out there. You should want the Mike Fillet who's standing out there, look in and say, He's a good fucking coach for some reason. Could might not be because of your scheme is so great. It might just be the way you approach the kids, the way you talk to them, the way you motivate them, something. But you need to look at it from the very beginning and you have to stay consistent in your coaching career the same way. And you have to learn. You have to constantly learn. It, it, it's, really, it's really about learning what a kid's talent is and putting him in the right position to succeed. Yeah. Right? A kid could be a big kid, but he's very agile. Maybe you throw him a linebacker then. You have yeah. too many coaches yeah. that put them where they think they should go. Yeah, exactly. And, well, actually, and don't, play, don't play to their strengths. Exactly. Be, that, that's what I'm saying. You, I'm a, you play to their strength or their talent. If you have a good coaching, a good core, so your your core is your your head coach, your defense quarter, your offense quarter. Everybody else is like secondary coaches. No, no offense to them. They just are. If you're doing it the right way, 
then those guys are the best coaches you have in those spots. They're not there. I select. Me and Joe always selected who was what. And it wasn't because of any other reason except what you brought to the table. All right? So when I came up to him, he made me his defensive coordinator. And there was other guys. And I think they were kind of pissed off about it. But he's like, we're a better football team now because of this. So just deal with it. But those guys make the decisions. And I've had kids that like, he's not a linebacker. He's a defensive end. I got to put him at defensive end. And I put him at defensive end. The kids thanking me by the end of the year. Oh, I love because playing they, defensive end. Because they shine. They're always going to like what they're good at. Because you have to judge talent, like Mike said. He's, you have to judge talent. Judging talent is playing them where they're supposed to play. Now, that might change in, in high school. They might develop even more and become something else. But your job is to put them in a comfortable situation, make get the most out of them, get them ready for the next level. See you later. The, the one... The one thing I always bring up is, do you remember Jared Lorenzen? No. He was a quarterback at University in, University of Kentucky, and he won a, He was a backup with the Giants for a while. Big, fat quarterback. If you looked at him, you thought he'd be like a guard. They used to call him the hefty lefty. But he was good. Yeah. Guy had a great career. He's still playing like the USFL now or whatever it is. I want to really so, give you these guys because we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> well, so we Bob, are, you, you got we, online, Bob. We, we are, on. we are coming to the end of this thing. Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to throw out? Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to present you guys with these t-shirts. I know they're not much, but uh, we get t-shirts made every year and it says uh, North Arlington Junior Vikings football. That's our, our program in the Meadowlands Football League. And uh, you're definitely not a size large. We know that. Were you saying I'm fat? No, I'm just saying you <laughs> might have had the fat gene, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, Thank you, Bobby. I really, uh, you know, they're just regular t-shirts and, you know, anything else. I'll have some more gear during the year. And, you know, I know you, you're coach. You're not going to be wearing the North Arlington Junior Vikings thing, well, but, but around the house know, or to the gym a- or something. Absolutely. The team he coaches is the Vikings yeah, too, right? A little Vikings. Yeah. yeah. The little so a- absolutely. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you oh, why. Oh, that's what the V is for? That's what the V is for. It's not vagina. I, <laughs> I was going to say vag. I wasn't going to go the whole vagina route. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a bad word, right? Oh, you can't even have a penis these days. We're, we're more than five minutes into this. Bobby, we can say it. Non-binary. I, I always love when you come by, Bob. So listen, it's, it's we, always a trip. <laughs> we are coming to the end of this thing here, and we were supposed to talk about. We it's more about the suffering of coaching on this one. So, so we can do a part two. <laughs> if you could pick out what the suffering of coaching has taught you, what would it be? I think to be true to yourself. You know, ultimately, you're you're getting something out of it because of you're doing something for somebody else. And so it's a reflection of you, you know, and if I can walk away uh, from coaching and say, I did my very best for these kids. I just wasn't there to appear to be something. Like I said before, I'm there to do what the very best I can do it. It's not Bill Walsh. It's not Lombardi. It's not buddy Ryan, but it's me. And I put my stamp on it and hopefully I did the right thing and these kids got something out of it and they, and I was a, a positive piece of their football life. And, and that's, that's the best way I can put it. I can you tell know, you all my football coaches growing up. You know, I, I gotta say my big thing is stay humble. You're not Bill Belichick. You know, you're coaching junior kids football. Mm. Stop thinking that you're going to win a goddamn Super Bowl next week. Yeah. Stay humble. And realize that you're molding these kids for their future. You're a teacher. That's really all you are. You're a you, teacher. Without the pay. At, at, at its core, <laughs> I think we're going to, I think that's a good spot to, to leave it. At your core, you're a teacher. Bobby, thank you so much for coming in. We hey, always thanks love for having, having me. You. 
We always love having you. Thanks for the shirts and, you know, go North Arlington Junior Vikings. Well, it, listen, it, this means a lot to me because Is that your I, team? I played for, well, yeah. it wasn't the Junior Vikings back then. It was the North Arlington Leaders. I was play. I went six years through that program. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast, the suffering of coaching or coaching your kids, whichever way you want to look at it. And as always, let's think about all the stuff that we learned. Teach and coach respect to your children. Build them up. Use your resources. Hard work beats talent, especially when talent doesn't work hard. But most importantly, consistency, consistency, consistency. That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast. Don't forget, digital business card. Go to popple.com, put in the code TSP20 for a nice 20% discount. Uh, You can always listen before you watch. All of our audio episodes come out on Sunday before they air on Monday on YouTube. Follow us on all social media. That's LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, TikTok, Facebook, Clapper, Instagram, and please comment with everything. I want you to I want you to share our episodes as much as possible. Don't forget to follow the Suffering Podcast on Instagram. Follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice and follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And we will see you on the next episode.